everybody. Welcome uh, to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I am Andrew Harris, and as you all know by now, I'm joined by my special co-host, Andrew Decker. What's up, man? Well, not much. It's it's summertime. It's hot. Oh. Uh, we just had the longest day of the year. Yeah. We're still living in COVID 2020. Oh, it's like um, COVID 2.0. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually still like 1.1. <laughs> it's going to uh, get much, much worse. It's going to get much worse. This is not a second wave. That would be 2.0. These numbers are exponential. It's really terrifying me. So everybody, please, please stay safe. So I know you and I were both in the same court day, courtroom, yeah. but at different times. Yep. You were there before me. Well, you were there before me, then I was there, and then you were there after me. That's right. Right? But my question is, masks. Yes, I did wear a mask. Good, good. So did I. I saw that the coordinators did and the clerks did and the bailiff did. One of the county attorneys did. Really? There were no county attorneys with masks when I was in there. Oh, one of them was, this afternoon was, one of them was. Um, And then like half, maybe not quite half the gallery. Oh, yeah. I didn't see. And about half. None of my clients were wearing masks. Half the attorneys. Yes. And the judge did not. Judge did not. Yeah. And I just take that as like, you know. Of course, the prosecutors just don't care, you know. So. Yeah, because no one's actually going to talk to them. <laughs> right. Um, well, man, I'm, I am really excited about our, about our, our I'm, episode I am today. We're, we're interviewing uh, somebody pretty special to you. Why don't you introduce her? Yeah, so uh, Jessica Cantor and I met um, now almost, well, over five years ago at the Tim Evans Trial College, which you later went to uh, right. down in Huntsville. Um, she and I met, we became fast friends. We've then hung out at Rusty Duncan. We've hung out in Dallas at another training event. Um, we, uh, we communicate back and forth via text and Facebook about what's going on, about cases, about, you know, the fact that we're not at Rusty Duncan this year. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we've missed out on that and all the party that is uh, the Rusty Duncan. But she is one of my favorite people. Um, uh, even though we give each other our time about stuff, she is amazing. And we are lucky to have her Indeed, we are. Um, because her resume looks better than either of ours. Oh yeah. Well, she's a much better attorney than either of us. Jessica, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are y'all doing? Well, doing very, very well. So a uh, quick shout out to, uh, the Tim Evans trial college. That's where you two met, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh, it's a she- great, great program, a week long, uh, trial strategy and skills, conference uh, hosted by TCDLA, named after one of the, the best uh, uh, trial attorneys, I think, in the history of Texas and maybe yeah. even the nation. Yeah, very possibly. And one of your office mates. Is that right, Andrew? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not to brag, but officially his name's not on the door anymore because officially he's retired. He's retired but, yeah. uh, but he was in the office this week. Had lunch with him a couple of days ago. You know, no big deal. Just name dropping. Yeah, right. And right. It's great. Right. Boom. Um, well, and, uh, you know, someday we hope to be on that level. And Jessica, you are well on your way. Just tell us a little bit about, like, where you're practicing. Okay. Well, you guys are way too sweet. Um, we I try. practice right now in Hallettsville, Texas. Uh, I head up the Lavaca County Public Defender's Office, which is a part of Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. But I started five years ago down in Beeville, good old Bee County. Um, I think the McConnell unit is there, Garza West, Garza yeah. East. There's some prisons down there. So yeah, that's where I started my career. But now I'm in the middle of nowhere. 
but right by Shiner. So that's, yeah, that's I, I have family in Hallettsville and like all around that area. So I, did you I, really? I, it's I gorgeous. Know. It is. It's I, I ran the Shiner half a few years ago. That's a, it's Shiner's a cool town. It is a cool town. It is. Yeah, I especially like the the beer. There. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything. I like the fact um, that Jessica just is like, yeah, like the beer. The beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. It's probably yeah, like right. you know my favorite beer in the uh, ever. So it's it's uh, it's amazing, and we're not sponsored by them, but they should send us some money, right? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Uh, you're really involved with TCDLA, Jessica. T- you're on the board. Is that right? Is that what I I'm- am on the board? Yes. Tell us about yes. that. What does that mean? You know it. it- so sometimes I think the first year I was on it, that was like the question I had because I was like, well, what do I do, right? Like, it, yeah. it's just sometimes super long meetings. Um, but I think that being on the board, it means being super, like like y'all said, active in TCDLA. So I also head up the Public Defender Committee, which has been very quiet this year. Um, COVID didn't help that, um, nor did the um, just kind of how big our state is. So I'm trying to work on uniting public defenders and even just attorneys who do a lot of court appointed work in the state of Texas, but we're so big, it's been hard. Um, But it just means a lot of volunteering, um, either to speak at CLE or to be active in committees um, and definitely attend the CLEs. So it's been a lot of fun and I have learned so much uh, from TCDLA. I don't know if I'd be where I am without them. Yeah, they're definitely a great resource. Yeah, no. It, it, so, so tell me a little bit more about the about the public defender group or or subcommittee, um, because I don't think we've ever talked about subcommittees within TCDLA. TC, right. Oh, that's part of the fun. I mean, some committees are are more quiet than others, you know, but I think that that's a really important connection that when people join TCDLA, here I am like just being like, hey guys, join TCDLA, right? Walking advertisement. But um, I think that the committees are one way that I did start becoming more active because of the listservs and it's like a little niche of people that you can reach out to. So um, there's quite a few in every board meeting. There's always updates, like the parole committee always has something interesting to say. you know, DWI. Um, and so every board meeting, the committees can update. Um, the public defender committee, I think has been quiet for a few years. And again, I think that's because of the size of the state and every part of Texas is so different. So I find that public defender culture is a little different in each part of the state from Dallas PD to Houston to El Paso, which is kind of like another state entirely, right? Um, South Texas and, um, well, now what will be Austin's uh, newest public defender office. Um, So I've been trying to work on connecting everyone, but it it has been kind of a struggle. And I think that's just size, location, and the different way um, public defenders operate in Texas, because it's not a statewide system like most states in the U.S. Well, and what a large percentage of the state is actually covered uh, not by a public defender's office, but more by um, mm-hmm. appointments or wheels. Uh, Andrew and I both are on the wheels in Parker County. I'm on yeah. the wheels in Tarrant County. Mm-hmm. And even even what's required to be on a wheel ch- varies county to county. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some, 
there are some places where if you pass the bar exam, you can you can be on the wheel for a misdemeanor. And They're others, breathing. They need you. Right. Um, and then others, it, even to be on a misdemeanor wheel means you have to have had some experience. Right. So. Yeah. Right. And that was that was so interesting to me learning about those differences um, and sometimes frustrating, especially when they want so much experience uh, as for like a, a misdemeanor. Um, but how do you get that experience if you can't even be on the wheel in that right. county? But then they're going to complain there's not enough attorneys in the county, but then your restrictions are so hard for, you know, definitely. young lawyers yeah, definitely right, to, to get on their wheel. Right. And um, your your office is a part of the Texas Rio Grande Indigent Defense or? Legal Aid. Legal yeah, it's aid. one of the yeah. biggest civil nonprofits in the U.S. Um, they primarily cover South Texas. There is an office in Austin, San Antonio, um, but mainly South Texas, and they do primarily civil. But we do have a public defender division that's been that's been growing and has been around for about 10 or 11 years now. And that? I guess the public defender division is uh, funded by a grant. Is that right? Yes. Yes. With yeah. the Texas Indigent Defense Commission, um, the counties, the, the contracts vary from county to county. Um, usually it's about half and half. And then over time, the county starts putting more in. But, but we are based on a grant. So every couple of years, our contract is up. But it also means uh, up for renewal. But what it also means is we're not county employees, which is, pretty awesome um so i don't report to the county they don't pay me uh i am a trala as we call it or you know trla employee right and um at the beginning uh when we introduced you 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 told us that you started out in b county is that you worked with michelle ochoa is that right i did yes she's one of my mentors yes and our listeners may remember that's from episode number three or four it's one of the early ones right one of our first recordings and, and what the what the listener doesn't know is that jessica was sitting in the corner listening and watching that and, and trying try, to distract michelle right, as much as possible. right and trying not to laugh and, and and she was over there uh and and so so we have come full circle yeah uh, as we're celebrating yeah. uh, right our year of our of our podcast so right. it's just you know too bad we're not at rusty so she could be in the corner right you know, exactly listening and, and laughing at me We'd have to, we would probably have to put a mic in front of her. She's, she's got some good zingers. Yeah, she does. I'm actually <laughs> glad she's not around. <laughs> I'd be roasted. Um, so, so part of your work with uh, Trollo and with uh, TCDLA has put you in contact with state and national indigent defense groups. Um, how has that benefited you? How, what does what does that mean for you? What does that mean for for the for the defense bar? So for me, um, what that has meant is learning how other states. So I'm going to use COVID as the example. Um, I had a meeting yesterday, and there were public defenders, chiefs uh, for mental health, public defenders, um, on this call, and I got to hear what other states are doing as far as um, incompetencies, civil commitments and how COVID has affected them. And I think it is fascinating. And to compare and contrast and to see, okay, you know, Chicago's having this problem. How can I learn from that to benefit my clients? Or is there any advice that, you know, I from Texas can give someone? Um, So being connected with other public defenders in other states has been very helpful to me. 
um, you know, even though the laws and jurisdictions are very different, the core issues are all still the same, especially during COVID. You know, there's a lot of Sixth Amendment issues we're all fighting right now. Um, Zoom court, which for indigent people has been difficult, right? How do you, how how do you ensure that um, their due process rights aren't being violated? Um, Because, for example, we have a laptop in our jail uh, that we provided, Trolla provided, so we could communicate without going. But that puts my clients out on bond at a disadvantage. So how do we make sure that they're able to be in court too? I can't just give every client a laptop. Um, So to be connected nationally has been very, very interesting and very informative, especially now um, because of COVID and how it's changing just kind of the the criminal justice landscape. So how has COVID affected you directly? Well, I don't um, have to commute as far. So that's been, I think, the only positive. Um, as far <laughs> as I, I commute about an hour 15 one way to work every day. That's wow. so about two and a half hours a day. Um, so definitely saving on gas. But, you know, for my courts, they haven't really slowed down. I think one of the biggest fights was just making sure that we could use Zoom in court. And um, we had some pushback, but most of my clients in my jurisdiction have not had that many problems accessing internet or uh, getting onto Zoom. Um, so, you know, the work is still, I'm still busy. Um, cases are still being moved one way or the other. Um, I have a lot set for trial. That's going to be the interesting thing um, yeah, so, for the end of the year. Right. So, so. What is the projection uh, for you as to, according to your your judges, when do you think you're actually going to return to trials? They're talking uh, my next felony trial date is set for November um, for one district judge. The second hasn't given us any dates, um, but I think I'm thinking next year. Um, this month, we were supposed to be in person. So I was gearing up to make sure um, my organization doesn't want us in court. So I was gearing up to make sure if I have to go to court, it'll be me alone, not my staff. And I got an email yesterday from both district judges saying they're going to proceed with Zoom this month because, you know, the numbers keep getting higher and higher. So that's going to be an issue, too. I I feel like a lot of my clients don't really care, though. Some want to get their case over with, but a lot of them don't um, because, you know, not trial scary. Um, the conviction is going to hurt if they're convicted. And so this delay also helps us prove that they're not bad people, for example, that they can be successful without that conviction or without being on probation. So we're trying to to turn this also into a positive. I think that's a great, uh, great way to spend this, this downtime is making sure our clients are proving that they're the productive members of society that we know they are. Uh, right. Some of these, you know, prosecutors and judges who are maybe a bit more judgmental. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a client right now um, that we're trial will be very interesting. It's a mental health case, um, assault on a public servant. And um, he's been out on bond. He moved to South Texas where he has a job with his girlfriend. And I've been in communication with his mom and he's just doing so well. And I'm so proud of him. And I think the delay in his case and in trial has been very beneficial to him 
Um, because now we have all this even more, I mean, he's already a wonderful human being, but we have even more to show the judge just what a good kid he is. And this was like a one-off, you know, that this crime does not define him and should not for the rest of his life. And COVID has really given us that opportunity, um, to showcase that, you know, he's been out on bond and bond conditions with absolutely no problem. Um, and he's not set for trial till November and I have eight or nine right now set for November with, I'm guessing more added to that docket. So for him, probably next year sometime. Yeah, we actually, I actually had a judge today say, you know, right now the office of administrative, uh, AOC, right? No. Yes. Right. Uh, OCA. OCA. Yeah. OCA. There we go. I was like, I I was confusing with, uh, with a Democrat (laughs) out of New York. Um, uh, (laughs) um, that, that, you know, right now they're still saying August 1 and the, and the judge said, you know, so we, we are having trial starting August 3rd at this point. And I thought, There's just can't, no way. I, I can't imagine right now trying to pull a jury in um, and having anything successful happen. But I had a client the other day go, I don't care. I'm not afraid. And I thought, yeah, but I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like finding 30 people um, who, you know, COVID's a hoax and they're okay with sitting mm-hmm. in a room for jury selection on a misdemeanor, you know, like, I don't know if I want those people on my jury. Well, maybe, well, but and you don't maybe, want the, maybe, 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 but then what about the ones who are mad that they're being called in because oh, of COVID sure. and they are well, There's always some that are mad that they're being called in, but, but let me, let me spin the hoax this way. Cause I've been thinking about this. We've talked about this a few times. Yeah. So if you don't trust the government to tell you good information about your health, are you going to trust the government to make a decision about whether this guy really had a reason to be stopped? I, I think, though, I, but I, I think the same people who are, they're placing, they're, mis, they're placing their mistrust in this, like, phantom government that's out there controlling everything. And then when they see an officer in court, okay. that's going to be the same person who's like, no, I'm, I'm with the back the blue, you know, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. The police aren't the ones calling them, right? That's right, man. Got their health's at risk. We love cops. Yeah. <clears throat> so, <laughs> the, so Jessica, you're uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, TIDC briefly. Um, that's the Texas Indigent Defense Council. Is that right? Or commission? Commission. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a, a mentorship program, right? Or is that is that a different Indigent Defense? Uh, no, they do. They okay. do. It's um, they partnered with Harris County PD and TCDLA, um, and it's the Future Indigent Defense Leaders Program. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And they accept, I think, twenty mentors, twenty mentees every year. And the mentees who are usually practicing three years or less get sent to, um, I think it's now Georgia, Atlanta, for uh, Gideon's Promise training. Right. And you actually got to do that last year, didn't you, as a mentor? Yes. I got to attend uh, Train the Trainers, which was a week-long program. Um, the actual Gideon's program for new attorneys is, I think, two to three weeks. I think it's two weeks. It's, it's super intense. But um, when I was there, I learned, so, I mean, even learning how to, like, train other lawyers, I was learning things. It was, it was an amazing experience. Well, they say the best way to learn something is learn how to teach it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did some, they did, I think it was a, a cross practice that was so interesting. What they did was they had three people 
and two of them are sitting at tables with their backs to each other and they have the exact same blocks color but they're different shapes different colors and one person has to make a shape out of it and the third person has to walk that second person through the with the block so if you make like a little house with it well that person who didn't build it has to build it from scratch based on that third person explaining it and so it was super interesting because watching you were the jury member trying to get through this cross um but it wasn't a cross it was like okay the long blue rectangle is at the bottom and that person would have to find the long blue rectangle and you couldn't you know say yes or no you would have to properly describe it um okay now the red cylinder uh goes on top and then that person would put it on top but if it was wrong you would have to then elaborate no uh that cylinder you know the round side is on top and the flat bottoms you know face outward or whatever um and it really put direct and cross into a different perspective for me and how to teach it um because it's funny to see what that second person with the blocks makes and how different it could potentially be from what the actual structure is and that's what your jury's listening to yeah that's so, interesting to think of a cross-examination as that right because because everybody thinks uh, everybody um i think a lot of people get in the trap of making cross-examination questions and not and mm -hmm. not just statements like you, you know that's what actual leading the witness is 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 phrasing the quote-unquote question as a statement and getting them to agree to it um and that 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 just i think is a is sounds like a brilliant exercise to get used to um describing you know, what you need to say in a way that is, uh, that you can actually build a structure from that. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Um, I'm going to try to do it with my, with my new young lawyer. Um, I thought it was a brilliant exercise. So I learned that and, and, um, got to learn a few other things and, and meet again, other trainers from around the country, which was really nice. And to hear how they train or how their offices are operated. Now there were other, um, court appointed attorneys there from Texas. Gideon's Promise is mainly public defenders, but they did make an exception for uh, what we call fiddle. Um, and I think it's- Okay, it's what, just, what, hold on, what's fiddle? That's the future indigent, yeah, future indigent leaders, defense okay. leaders. All yeah, right. Defense lawyers, defense lawyers, future indigent defense lawyers. That's the program that TIDC, so many acronyms, um, Texas Indigent Defense Commission started with TCDLA. Cool. Right. We'll I thought you were that. a mentor. What? I yeah, thought you Andrew were a mentor. Is a mentor isn't oh, well, yeah. I, I I do my training between but before this post, I will I will I will do my training. Technically, it's, uh, it's you haven't training. gone. Are you even going? Because of COVID? Uh, it's online. It's oh, going to be via be Zoom. But I don't know who I'm. You know what? Poor sucker is going to have me as their mentor. <laughs> uh, I'll need oh, to go with some more. I guess properly mentor this young attorney. Um, <laughs> yeah, Andrew's going to need a lot of training. Yeah. So, yeah, um I've heard of Gideon's Promise. Um it's a it's a great conference if anybody any attorneys out there get uh, invited or able to attend, um you you will get a lot out of it from what I hear. And of course it's it's named after the Supreme Court case that ensured the right to an attorney for all individuals regardless of ability to pay. 
So um, it is a very good program. Which would be? USB Gideon or Gideon v. US? Gideon v. Wainwright. Wainwright, uh, dang it. I was like, like I'm pretty sure Andrew. it's Wainwright. <laughs> that was Andrew yeah. Harris. Uh, not so saying that saying that in, incorrect answer there just kidding um so so th now now i'm gonna you know step out you know we're uh, obviously uh not everyone we can't see you uh in a podcast but i know you to be a young intelligent smart uh female uh defense attorney working in rural south texas and so i'm gonna ask a question how is that what yeah what's your experience like yeah you know, like that's something that we you know obviously we don't we can't really relate to um so i think it'd just be interesting because we're both old uh yes. not so smart and not interesting um, and, and not female right i was gonna say you you have a podcast so clearly you're kind of interesting right yeah. um <laughs> that just old. means we're self-promoting right. right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> i'll at least agree with the old um it has been interesting. Uh, so I remember walking into the Hallettsville courthouse uh, almost two years ago now. And I think there was only one other female attorney and she was a civil attorney. Um, you know, the, the support staff, the administrative assistants for the prosecutors are the county attorneys. They're female. Every clerk is female. The court reporters, they're female. Um, and so I felt really outnumbered at first uh, and still am outnumbered. Um, but I do notice that sometimes I feel like I'm making it up in my head, or at least that's what I tell myself when I believe that someone's speaking to me differently than they do a male defense attorney or even a hired defense attorney. Sometimes I, I notice differences. Right. Um, but I recently had a colleague work on a case with me and the outcome that he got compared to what I had been trying to fight for like he didn't have a fight getting what I wanted um and that was very frustrating for me and so um my young lawyer Claire and I we've been talking about it um you know we're going to try to get more help especially on certain cases from the B office with with male attorneys um to either work with prosecutors or even some of our clients um and I think that diversity is important anyways because if that person can't get along with me um, or doesn't, not, I don't know if respect is the right word, but respect right. me um, or a client or, you know, views me as beneath him. Um, but I'm still appointed. I can't just get off of a case for that. Having a male attorney would be very helpful or certain crimes. There's certain cases too, where they don't want to open up right, right to me about right. it, but they would to a, a male attorney. Um, or even a male investigator. Right now, my office is all women, which is pretty badass. But in a small town like yeah. I'm practicing, in a small county, it might be almost too progressive. Um, we're about to get a social worker. She's going to be female as well. As well. Um, and then my other concern just for diversity in my office is that we're all white women. And that's another issue I have, but that just could be kind of who's applying for the job in the area, you know, options are, choices and options are limited. But I do notice a difference and it can be very frustrating, but I'm also one of those women where I, you know, some women and they rightfully get upset when like someone calls them sweetie, for example, another male attorney. 
um, that can be really demeaning. And, and I totally get that, but I've learned in a small county to kind of use that to my advantage in a way. Mm. Um, so just kind of play it nice, smile, let them call you sweetie or, you know, darling or whatever they want to call, call you because one, me getting upset is not going to change anything right then and there. Um, but two, if that means that they like me and they might help out or I can get advice from them, then all right. I mean, I'm not your sweetie, but I'll put up with it, um, depending on the person. Right. So yeah. it's kind of like a game, I guess, you know, there's some people where, yeah, I do want to tell off for it. And then there's other people where it's like, okay, is this a fight I really want to have? And where is that fight or that argument going to get me? Um, one example is my, uh, Claire, my attorney, my staff attorney, her first experience was a, a client of ours telling us he got into a fight with another man over his girl because God put her in his life to protect. And I remember Claire just getting so upset about that. Like she doesn't need protecting, you know, just kind of riled up. And I was like, remember this dude lives in a very small jurisdiction. This town itself is 3000 people. He's, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's 60 something years old. Like you have to understand too, that sometimes when men do say these things, it's not the way that you're reading into it. Like what they're trying to say isn't really that bad. Like I thought it was sweet. You know, I was like, oh, you know, he defended his girl. Well, be better so sweet. if you're going to have a 60 year old defendant, better that he's defending his the girl than hitting his girl. Right. Yeah. We, we yeah. Do and yeah. I mean, and, and he was just someone too. I told her, I was like, you know, and I get why she wanted to like talk to him. Cause I think he said too, like, oh, you know, I'd protect you guys if you needed it. And I just had to kind of explain to it in a way that's somewhat cultural differences as well. Cause she comes from Houston, you know, and I'm from Austin. Yeah. Um, and so, but out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, you're going to come across, you know, issues like that. And as, so long as it's not affecting the work for me, it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to change this guy's mind. You know, he's already in his sixties. He, he didn't hurt my feelings saying that I thought it was sweet. Um, so she and I have been working have a job on to do and there's still exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so right now we're, we're trying to work through to over time, you know, just working with, um, right now we have two male prosecutors. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, so it but truly like our, is our judge, every time you go to court, a little bit of the battle of the sexes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, too, because if I get angry in court, like, say, in front of a jury, uh, I'm getting all riled up, you know, I'm suddenly a bitch, right? Or I'm too oh, emotional. Yeah. But if a male right. prosecutor does it, he's impassioned and he yeah. cares. Um, right. And so balancing that fine line, too, I feel like I'm judged more harshly, too, on what I wear. You know, if I'm not wearing pantyhose... I'm going to hell, you know, um, my Andrew, nails are too did, did you wear your pantyhose today? Of course, man. Every day. Okay. All right. Just checking. Every day. Ew. So uncomfortable. <laughs> I had, I no experience with pantyhose. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I, I'm teaching her that too. And, and my female investigator that we're also in trial going to be judged more harshly for what we wear as well. Um, I, do, I do think that's true for most, most of the women, even, even in larger, more progressive, uh hmm. areas i think part of it is it's very easy to wear a blue suit white shirt and a tie right yeah. there's yeah. not a whole lot of um 
creativity involved in that. And there's not a whole lot of outside of that norm. Uh, you know, you're either wearing a blue suit, a black suit, or a gray suit. That's your options. There's no like, well, I'm showing a little more ankle or a little less ankle or, you know, how, you know, I mean. Mm -hmm. it, for men, you mean? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, so automatically, I think a woman coming into court is judged more harshly because the options are just so more, so much more numerous that people go, well, what did you, what did they do with their outfit today? Where the guy's like, oh, well, they wore a blue suit again. Right. I remember my grandma once gave me advice. She used to be a, a prosecutor and then a defense attorney out in Arizona, never to wear, what was it, red in front of a jury because it was too powerful for a woman to wear red and juries would get um, intimidated by that and judge you more harshly, which is funny because that's my favorite color and that's exactly what I wear. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, I just remember that advice my grandma gave me, you know, which I thought was, you know, even then she was being judged for what she wore, you yeah. know, back in the seventies and eighties when she was an attorney. And I don't think it's, yeah, really changed. Yeah. Probably, probably not a lot. Yeah. It, for those of you who haven't figured out, Jessica has some passion about doing the job of defender. She, when, she, when she talks about that, Oh, you know, this guy was sweet. She says that about a lot of her clients. That <laughs> she, she, she sees them as people, but you ask them, you know, like where the state did something wrong and just stand back because she's going to go off and let you know exactly. Um, every time I see her, I'm like, dude, I need to, I need to, I need to take some of what she's taken to muster up a little more. Courage. Yeah, you know, and I think my clients have really helped open my eyes to that. Um, you know, especially in, in this new county, I got uh, that one client where, you know, Claire was insulted. I remember we, the disposition was okay. I mean, the felony, second degree felony was dropped to a class A misdemeanor instead of trial. And, you know, he wanted trial. He wanted that not guilty, but he ended up taking the deal. And I remember I was disappointed um, because it wasn't what he wanted originally. And he was doing it because it was time served and he just wanted to go home and like, you know, I got it. It's, it's not my case. I'm not going to strong arm my client. Right. Um, but he ended up saying to me, thank you for listening. Right. And that just, yeah, it just changed every, it changed a lot for me. Like most of the time, my clients, they just want someone to listen to them. Yeah. And they're victims too. And people forget that they're victims of their surroundings of the system and the government. Um, you know, of, of where they go to school, depending on where they live, right. Their indigent status. Um, many of the, most of the time, um, especially on my sexual cases, sexual offenses, I'm learning that a lot of my clients were victims themselves and no one helped yeah. them when they were children. Um, assaults, that's what they've seen. And, you know, they were abused or, you know, their mom was abused. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I love my clients. Sometimes I want to, you know, I mean, sometimes I do yell at a few of them, you know, <laughs> but at the end of the necessary. day, yeah, at the end of the day, I love them. Um, I, I don't think that there's really like Andrew said, any client that I truly talk badly about, um, but the state, the government, yeah, this yeah, is a podcast, so I'm going to watch my language, but I don't have good things. I don't have nice things to say. Not uh, well, we, we we won't get you all riled up on that. So so we never we on this podcast we never talk talk ill of the prosecution ever or the government or the judge or the, or the cops. Right, right, yeah, right. no, you're already. I'm a, I'm a, woof. 
Okay. Next time. All right. So, so we're going to move, we're going to move on to the fun questions. Some, some fun <laughs> okay. uh, questions we ask everybody, every guest we have um, our fun questions. Uh, so favorite musical band or artist? The Bronx. Um, they are a punk rock group, but they also have a second band who might, might even beat the original called Mariachi El Bronx. And they are one of my all-time favorites. Like, that's it. I, I hear that music and I'm just absolutely, I'm just dancing. I'm singing. I love seeing them in concert, but I also love going to the Bronx concerts and trying to mosh, but I usually just stand <laughs> to the side because I'm afraid of getting hurt. Um, <laughs> I, think I, I think I heard one of their pieces because it is it's like mariachi punk music, right? Yes, and yes, on and, and like actually, NPR or something like that. Yes, they just their most so they just um, released like two records, uh, vinyls. Uh, I listen on Spotify because I don't have a record player. Um, and one of their their new songs um, was just played for the first time on the radio. So they were more like indie underground, um, but Going mainstream, I'm super got bills to pay. Yeah, I'm super stoked for them. That's cool. Oh, I, mean, right. I think that's great that they were on the radio. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. You should check them out. What about like uh, your favorite book or, or something you've read recently that you would recommend to people? Well, what I'm reading right now is actually from one of my favorite podcasts. Um, I would say Reader Beware. You haven't put out a book. That's weird. I know. <laughs> you guys have to soon. Um, the last podcast on the left. Uh, uh -huh. recently came out with a book, the last book on the left, and it's about uh, history's most notorious serial killers. Um, so a lot of the stories are, are uh, you, know, you already know I'm Ted Bundy, for example, but they put a good, they do even more research and there's new facts in there and there's a lot of humor, um, but it can be like, it, you know, it's not PC. And I would yeah, say right like on. rated R or like NC-17, but I love it. So that's what I'm currently reading. It's it's gotten me through quarantine. So, All right. So rated rated R, just like the podcast. Uh, yes. Podcast Ooh, I get to see them in August. I'm so excited. <laughs> Are they doing a live taping? You're going to? Yeah, they were supposed to do it. I was supposed to see them in March, April, and they canceled because yeah. you know COVID. So we'll see what again. happens in August. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll see. So best advice you've received? It could be uh, legal advice, it could be professional advice, or it could just be personal advice. Okay, I got two, but I'll make it quick. All right. Awesome. Professional advice, and uh, Michelle is the one, Michelle Ochoa is the one that told me, always read the indictment and always read the penal code. Just read, just check, make sure. Um, the law changes constantly. There might be something new, um, but, that should be one of the first things you do in a case. Um, really? And that's really helped guide me. Uh, sometimes I forget, like I know, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I know it's an assault. That's what the indictment says, right? And go straight to the facts. But reading the indictment, making sure it's correct, making sure I remember every element, everything that has to be proven, gives me that, like, I look at the case just a little differently than if I would have just jumped right in. Um, so that's my professional advice. Personal, great, great advice. Personal would be, and I, a professor said this once in undergrad, you can always do better than your best. And I really love that because it always reminds me that I can always improve. So even if I think I nailed a hearing, which I never truly think that, I think there's always room for improvement. But even if I walk away being like, yeah, 
I won that or Ooh, I got my client out or whatever. Um, I like to try to get the transcript if we can afford, like if I can afford it, right? To review it and see where can I improve? Um, so for example, on one, I didn't realize I was saying and, or was it okay? Oh, okay. I was saying okay before every question, like every direct question. I said it 36 times in a hearing. Um, and I don't think I would have realized that if I didn't go back, get the transcript, read it to continuously improve. Because again, you can always do better than your best. That's so right. that's my personal advice or anything. No, I love that too. Cause that's kind of what, uh, what, what Tim, the Tim Evans trial college does. They record you performing, um, you know, across examination. And then as you go back and review that, you can see like, Oh, I have this weird, you know, uh, tick I, tick or something, mm -hmm. you know, that's like drawing attention away from what I'm trying to say and putting it on me, you know? And, right. Um, right. And that quote can just apply to anything, you know? So my walks when I'm trying to get so many miles in a day, great. I did it. Okay. What can I do tomorrow? You know, that was my best today. What's my best going to be, you know, tomorrow or next week or whatever. So that's gotten me through. to work, you would get plenty of steps in. Yeah. But by the time I get to work, it'd be like 1 PM. Just imagine. I mean, you'd have to like turn around and start walking home. I mean, that would be yeah. the crazy amount of steps. Yeah. I mean, just think about it, you know, just, I don't think that's, that, that's not good like, advice. Oh, that's no, bad advice. That's 90 miles. Uh, 90 miles. So yeah. Yeah, okay. it's good. It's going to so take you more than a day. A yeah. day. <laughs> so uh, more bad advice from Andrew Harris. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> Walk 90 miles to work. But then um, it can yeah, be like, don't do like that. super old people where they're like, I used to walk uphill and in the snow to school. Yeah. I could say I did that to work. Maybe, yeah. My children. Yeah, in the South Texas heat. It was so hot. In the the sh my shoes melted in the asphalt. <laughs> so I know you don't, you, you know, your your <laughs> indigent defense uh, you don't have private or retained clients, but is there a way if people wanted to reach out to you or ask any questions, uh, find out more about you, is there a way to, that, that our listeners could contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can, I don't know, I'll just give you all my, um, work number, um, which Office is also number, textable. not cell phone, please. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Not, not cell phone. Um, I had a client get a hold of that the other day, by the way. So yeah, she blow me up in the jail. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Um, so my office number, which is also textable, is 361-450-6730. Um, and or email jcantor, C-A-N-T-E-R, at trla.org. And I'm always happy to talk, especially to um, young lawyers interested in public defense or just, you know, court-appointed work. Cool. Always, always, always. Well, thank you very much. It has been a, a blast. It is always good to talk to you um, uh, as usual. So again, we're Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. You can find us on iTunes, on Google. You can find us at texascrimdefense.com. You can find us on Facebook. Am I leaving anything sure. else off? I mean, it's not really iTunes, just the Apple podcast app, but you know, iTunes too. That's fine. You're, you're... Does iTunes still exist? Sure, 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 sure. In, in Andrew's world, <laughs> it exists. I still have a rec I still have an eight track. What do you mean? <laughs> Back in my day, it snowed in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we. I let Andrew do the outros because he's he goes through this and he's like staring at me like, is that right? We're like, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, it works. People yeah. understand. It's odd. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's it for today's show. Stick to stick stick. 
stick around. They can't tune in either. Right, right. Join us again uh, for the next episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense.